to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, resilience, crisis management, anything that's relatable to those topics, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, prepare, and respond to and overcome adverse situations. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to go to my LinkedIn page. Uh, I am the only Alex Fullick on LinkedIn, so I'm really easy to find. Uh, just send me a message and uh, we'll, uh, I'll get in touch with you and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about what you'd like us to touch on. Longtime listeners and even new watchers now on YouTube uh, and Voice America, you'll know that for quite some time I talked about the BCI Virtual World Conference in 2020 that I was speaking, and that I hope to be able to get some of those speakers. By now, you probably know I was able to get quite a few of those speakers, uh, which is great, uh, sharing lots of new information and uh, new insights. I'm quite happy with that. Today is no different. There was a panel discussion, how to be an ally, and I'd like to welcome to the show today one of those panelists, Lucille Kamar. Lucille, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Really delighted to be here. Now, we've got uh, literally listeners and watchers around the globe. So can you take a minute or two and uh, talk about yourself, what you do? Yes, absolutely. So I'm currently working as a diversity and inclusion professional, and I know um, those are topics that are being discussed, especially over the, the last couple of months, but really for years. So it's been a really interesting time um, to be able to exchange with people on that. Um, but with regards to my personal background and, and my interest. Um, I grew up in a mixed-race family in France, um, so French and Arab. So I've had a really interesting upbringing, but also very interesting um, realization of, of my own privilege, uh, which I'm hoping that's, that is something that we can talk about later on in the show. Mm -hmm. Well, how did you get involved with BCI? Um, I, I was uh, contacted by one of the organizers um, who rightly pointed out the correlation between diversity and inclusion and resilience, whether it's for uh, organi organizational resilience or individual resilience. Um, and also because I think there was a need at the time to people wanting to act, uh, be able to uh, drive diversity and inclusion, but not really knowing where to start, which is where this allies piece come come in comes in. Okay. Now, you I mentioned the topic of the panel that you were on, how to be an ally. First of all, what do you mean by an ally? And then we'll get into characteristics after. But what is an ally? It, it sounds like, you know, you know, you're here in politics, right? You have allies and adversaries. So, what what is an ally? Yeah, and I really like that we start by defining defining what it means. Um, but really, an ally is someone who, um, either due to their privilege or their position, is able to act um, on behalf and is interested in knowing more um, about a group of people or individuals that are different from from who they are. Um, so we talk about um, when we talk about allies, it can be. Uh, an allies to the LGBT plus community or um, men allies to gender equality or um, how to move from being an ally to anti-racist, which is, again, uh, a distinction that we've um, talked about for, for a while. Um, but simply speaking, you can be an ally if you're organizing a virtual meeting to make sure that it's accessible, that you're having subtitles, for example, or um, you have text which is um, able to be read uh, by um, by someone who might have a hearing disability or um, that you have um, text that can be um, made bigger so it can be it can cover any of um, of diversity characteristics that that make us who we are really I, 
that's very different than what I was thinking you might say, to be honest, because I, I didn't, I hadn't heard the term ally and what it really uh, meant. So the way you explained it is very different than what I thought, you know, um, which is interesting. I, you know, I like that. <laughs> well, what was your understanding of allies? Well, when, when you read it, and I, I guess maybe it's because of the media, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not blaming media at all, because the only time you re- ever really hear that term is, you know, people that are your friends, and that's it, you know, and, and do what you do, really, that, you know, when it comes to, you know, UK and Canada, or, you know, US and, you know, uh, Japan, you know, a different, they, they're, they're friends, not, you know, international friends, uh, who are always on side with what you do, you know, that's really the definition, I think most people hear, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to allies, so hearing your yours was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, it, it's like, someone on the opposite spectrum actually supporting you and helping you yeah that's right and and i think you know you can be passive if you're if you're an ally i.e you know not being uh, sexist or homophobic but i think what we mean with allies is really taking that active step into mm. driving change um which i suspect is not that different from the ally as we tend to think of it you know you're watching out for other people's, your allies' interest as well as your own. Yeah. So what are some of the characteristics of, of being an ally? You know, and uh, you kind of touched on some of the examples, but uh, can you go a little bit more into that? You know, because it's easy for me. I could sit here and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I support X, Y, and Z. You know, that's fine. But am I really an ally? Yeah, and I think that's what uh, is really interesting about it. Um, And I do believe that anyone can be an ally um, as long as they're willing to listen, first and foremost, uh, and do the work as well. When we talk about allies, it's, um, you know, not about being passive and saying, well, you know, I'm not racist or I'm not homophobic, therefore I'm an ally. But it's really how do you take that step further? What are you doing to educate yourself and learn about the issues facing uh, communities that are different that, than your own. And uh, once you've done that education piece, when you've done the listening exercise, what can you put in place? Um, what resources do you have, um, which might be um, resources such as power, such as time, such as influence, such as a, a media platform to um, drive a message that other people who might not have those resources um, and therefore might not be too able to, to put out there. And I think that's why it becomes really interesting for all of us, um, you know, regardless of where we are in our careers journeys or in organizations, we can all do something active that really drives equality forward. Is it, um, you know, I I might be treading on eggshells here, but is it okay to ask questions for clarity? Because, um, you know, I've been in a couple of situations myself where, you know, I, I want to understand something, a topic, you know, because um, maybe I was brought up with a different idea or I've just never been involved with a certain um, uh, culture. Or I've never met someone from, you know, X, Y, Z, and I have no idea, you know, so I ask a question, but sometimes um, you get negative feedback. You know, it's like, well, you should know better. It's like, well, no, I don't know better. And I'm reaching out, you know, I'm reaching out to know better you know, help me understand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that happens, you know, and and I'm trying to be an ally, but yet, you know, and and I'm not the only person that experiences this too. It happens everywhere in every culture, you know. Um, How do you address those kind of things? Mm, Yeah, and that's a really great question because we can't know everything about everyone, but what matters is that we're willing to to do the work. So starting questions and and actually realizing that we don't know uh, and that we shouldn't make assumptions on on other people is a really great way to start. Um, And I think most people would prefer um, you asking questions such as how do you pronounce name and and why it's important uh, to actually pronounce someone's name in the right way what pronouns do they use? Do they identify as he or she or they, them? Um, and by asking the quest- those questions, you make it okay for those people to, um, to know that it's safe uh, for them to either come out to you or to be their true selves. So I think asking question 
uh, is a really good way. You know, it shows humility. It shows that you're ready to do the work. Um, but also there is a lot of, um, you have to watch out for emotional labor. Um, and that's particularly what, relevant. What, what's emotional labor? So, for example, in, in the context of uh, Black Lives Matters, um, a lot of um, our Black colleagues and friends have been asked to, um, to talk about their experiences of being Black in the workplace when actually, you know, why are they doing this work uh, when there is so much available? There are so many other blogs um, that are available talking about people's experiences. So emotional labor is basically work that you do um, that is not, part of your work, but it still is taxing in the way that you might be relieving some trauma. And that's not just for um, our Black colleagues and friends. Um, it can be if you're talking about domestic abuse in the, in the workplace, asking someone to talk about their experiences, which might, might be uncomfortable of, of tax or taxing um, for them. But I think, you know, talking about being comfortable when you're learning and when you're growing, um, there is this element of, of discomfort discomfort of not, or not knowing or, or imagining that you might say or do the right thing. Um, and, and that's scary. And some people will just say, well, I just don't know. Therefore, no, it's safer if I don't ask or if I don't do anything. But by, you know, hiding, by being passive, that's how we let um, injustice, injustices carry on. Mm -hmm. So well, asking question is great. Uh, but first and, and really important in terms of validating people's um, identities and feelings and experiences. Um, but also, can you do the work first? You know, is this something that you can Google uh, and read about? And then you can ask follow-up questions, but also making sure that that person is in the right place to, to answer those questions. And, and I guess by looking at Google too, you know, uh, I would learn, hopefully, the right way to ask a question, not something insensitive, you know, and that can come across as not being an ally right off the bat. Yeah, that's right. And a good way of putting it is, would I ask myself this question? Is it appropriate yeah. to ask this person um, this question? And, you know, sometimes it's just not inappropriate. And, you know, is, is this just curiosity or is it something that you really want to do? You really want to act positively once you receive that information. So always think, would I ask, how would I feel if someone, someone has asked me this question? Yeah. Is it appropriate? Would I feel uncomfortable disclosing or talking about this aspect of my personal life? And would also being part of an ally uh, also relate to standing up when someone is being, um, I'll say, insensitive, you know, and, you know, um, maybe spouting off stereotypes or something, you know, that isn't positive, you know, it's like, hey, 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 you know, don't talk to this person like that. This is what you're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and again, that's a really good point because it comes from, you know, that notion of, of privilege, which is when we talk about privilege, it's not that your life hasn't been hard. It's not that you've, um, ha you haven't had any struggles. It's just like you've benefited from a system that favors um, characteristics that you have. So it might be privilege around um, your ethnicity, um, privilege around your education, around your socioeconomic background, um, around your gender um, as well. And, and sometimes you might have access to, um, to the decision makers that other people might not have. Or if you witness um, something that shouldn't, be, that shouldn't happen, then absolutely you can step in um, and, and say something. And it might not be, um, you might decide not to do that right when this is happening sometimes you might want to talk to this person after after the act but you might also want to check in with the person who was at the receiving end of what was said or, or done um but yeah absolutely it's um what we call micro affirmation which are the opposite of microaggressions that you and your listeners might be already aware of and you touch on an interesting point there talking to the the person on the receiving end you know um uh, if by chance, you know, you don't say anything when there is some sort of a confrontation, I guess talking to that person saying, you know, uh, how can I help you? You know, what is it? You know, I'm not sure what I should say, you know, how I should step in, 
even though I know that the aggressor was wrong, I just, I don't know how to address that situation properly. And that's got to be tough for people too. Yeah, it would be. And, um, you know, other people will prefer other um, types of, of reactions, but, you know, checking in and, and saying, I noticed this happened. Are you okay? Um, mm. Is there anything that I can do? Um, so then, you know, you're not putting yourself as, as the savior. You are doing it as the other person. You're not doing it um, for what we call performative allyship, um, which is something that is quite interesting. It's when you're doing an act um, of, of an ally, but expecting a pat on the back. You're doing it to make yourself feel better as opposed mm. to actually changing the situation. So, you know, this is this element of showcasing the good that you're doing when actually, you know, first and foremost, it should be centered around the person um, who um, might be either in the minority or at the receiving end of, of a comment or an act. You, you mentioned um, uh, about equality, you know, between the sexes. Mm-hmm. And I've always uh, had an issue, uh, and I still do to this day, with anyone who says, you know, um, female uh, executives are this way and male executives are that way, you know, and who's, who's most powerful. And I always get really upset, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I have a much stronger word for that. But I get really upset because I grew up in a single-parent home for the most part. So I had my mom and my mom's two best friends, you know, who sadly no longer with us, um, Kendall and Brenda, I was surrounded by powerful women, you know, and to me and what they all went through, you know, um, uh, they suffered with cancer and diabetes Mm -hmm. and things like that. My mom has health issues, you know, and yet still kept going. And I found growing up in their homes that I was surrounded by more powerful women than anyone else. So when I hear someone say anything along that, I get really, no, (laughs) you are wrong. (laughs) You know, my experience is not that men are this way and women are that way. You know, I I was surrounded by powerful women. Does that make me uh, an ally in some respect? Uh, No, I'm I'm really asking honestly, you know, because when anytime I do hear something like that, I really stand up and speak something, you know, and I say, speak my mind going, no you're wrong. I don't want to hear that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And being an ally is also about challenging expectation, um, expectations and assumptions and really stepping up when uh, you hear something that you're, you know um, is not right with regards to, um, to equality and, and justice as well. Um, but I think what's really interesting is, is about the expected behaviors and the gender roles that really uh, holds um, women and, and men back. Um, and I think when it becomes also interesting is looking at, you know, the breadth of, of genders beyond men and women. Um, but I think, you know, gender stereotypes are also detrimental to, to men um, in the fact that, um, you know, with the mental health for men, for example, and in the UK, mm. uh, men are a lot more um, or are victims or commit suicide at, at a much higher rate um, than, than women. And, and, you know, the fact that they don't feel able to, to talk about that mental health is also detrimental. And my last point is really around, you know, leadership skills that you were mentioning. And, and I think right now we're, you know, moving towards a new era of what makes a good leader. And we're seeing skills such as um, authenticity and vulnerability and curiosity that are more and more important. And, you know, that's something that employees and customers and shareholders expect a lot more from, uh, from leaders and from organizations, you know, knowing that it's not enough to put a statement on your website or on your social media, what are you actually doing that has an impact on the lives of the people working for you and with you, but also your customers and and the rest of the population? Yeah, saying and doing are two different things. That's right, yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Lucille Kumar, who was a panelist at BCI World uh, Virtual Conference on the topic of how to be an ally. We'll be right back.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Lucille Kamar, who was a panelist at the BCI Virtual World Conference on the topic of how to be an ally. Lucille, great first segment there. Lots of uh, very interesting and powerful information you, you provided there. I hope a lot of people are paying attention. My next question is, though, how do we build DNI into resilience programs? Now, can you explain what DNI is, first of all, and then we can move into how we incorporate that into our programs? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, those at DNI, diversity and inclusion, are terms that a lot of people are talking about, but we're not quite sure yet what it means. Uh, mm-hmm. And everyone wants to be involved, but unless you're able to, you know, go back to the origins of the the words and the semantics, you might miss out on the uh, on the subtleties of the world, the words. So, diversity is simply put everything that makes us unique, um, all our characteristics, whether they are visible or invisible. So. Visible characteristics could be um, your um, gender, although, you know, careful not to make assumptions um, because you might be presenting in a gender but identifying as another gender. Um, It can be your ethnicity, your age, if you have a visible um, disability as well. Now, invisible characteristics, um, it can be your your sexual orientation. It can be if you have mental health issues, um, invisible disabilities. You might be a carer. Uh, whether parents are caring for um, uh, an elderly parent, um, you can, um, your education background, uh, your social economic background. So um, I, I guess your, your spiritual or uh, religious beliefs could fall into that as well, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's really interesting is that all of those identities intersect. Um, so Intersectionality is a term also that people might not be familiar with, but but is also very important. And it was coined by um, Professor Crenshaw um, decades ago. And she was saying in the context of justice, uh, although now it's broadened a little bit, but it's really saying that your identity is made up of several layers um, of, uh, of characteristics. Um, you can't do anything about your diversity characteristics. You are who you are. Inclusion now is um, the active form. It's what are you doing to make people feel that they belong, that they're safe, um, that they can contribute to the best of their ability. So there's an active element to that. And that leads to, you know, this idea of of belonging uh, and psychological safety uh, in the workplace, which is quite important. Um, So psychological safety is is it safe in the workplace to voice your opinion? Can you talk about your ideas? Do you know that you can fail and not be blamed for it? 
um, you know, can you talk about your, your family life? Can you talk about your mental health? Can you say that, you know, you don't have all the answers and not be shamed for it? And that's how the inclusion and that belonging element, um, uh, you know, take, takes takes place. Um, something that's quite uh, a good way of reminding yourself of what is diversity and inclusion is saying diversity is inviting everyone to the party. Um, inclusion is making sure that everyone's dancing and belonging is um, ensuring that everyone's having fun. So how can you get that um, DNI diversity and inclusion uh, to become part of a organizational resilience program? Yeah. You know, or, or I don't even want to say program, but how do you incorporate that into an organization to help the organization become more resilient? Yeah, and it's really interesting that you said program and then and then you said actually not a program because I really think that diversity and inclusion needs to be embedded throughout the organization. And the reason why is that for several years, um, studies have shown that um, a lot of uh, the more the more diverse and inclusive organizations, the better they perform in terms of uh, financial results, return on investment, um, better attitude to risk and response to risk, um, you know, better creativity, problem solving, but also ensuring that um, organization remain relevant, remain fit for the future, are able to overcome challenges. Um, and that's how, you know, organizations can become more resilient when diversity and inclusion is being taken into consideration at, at all level. Um, you know, are you, is your recruitment process or promotion process indirectly um, discriminating against um, a certain group of people? And that's how you need to really unpick what, what, you're, what you're doing. Um, and I wanted to pick up on, you know, um, are you discriminating indirectly or unconsciously? Um, and I wanted to mention an example around unconscious bias that is quite quite famous. Um, it's about this this orchestra who was that was struggling to attract women musicians. Um, so I, all the musician would come and audition, uh, but the numbers uh, were still quite low in terms of of women musicians. So what they did um, is that the the uh, the, the people auditioning put a screen um, and they just did blind auditions and they found that when they couldn't see the gender of the musicians, all of a sudden the gender diversity of the orchestra increased because they were not. Uh, oh, I lost well, you. Oh, there we go. Okay. I was just going to say I lost you there for a second. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, but, but I was saying, you know, the screen was one thing, the blind audition was one, one thing, uh, but they were able still to hear or to guess unconsciously the gender of the musician based on how they were walking on the stage. So your brain makes decision or creates shortcuts based on information that you receive. And it might be uh, information that you receive unconsciously, such as things that you hear. Um, and that's why it's really important to be more conscious and be more aware of where our biases might lie. Um, and if you're interested in finding out what your biases are, you know, for and against, um, there's a test called the Harvard Implicit Bias Test, which can be done and the, the results are confidential, but it, it really helps you identify, you know, where you need to work and where you need to, to increase your awareness and you, your education. So... If we, uh, and I think if I heard you correctly, we kind of all have some sort of unconscious bias, right? On, on, on some level. Mm -hmm. How can you address that in resilience programs? Or see, I keep using that word programs. And, you know, I, I, I am, I'm in agreement with you. You know, it's the entire organization, not a little group, you know, of people working on it. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Not working in isolation. How do you incorporate or address that unconscious bias? You know, mm. if we all have it, we and we don't know it, then how do you address that? You know, I'm doing something I don't even know I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> that's, that's right. And and um, a safe a safe bet, a safe place to start is to, as you said, uh, acknowledge that we all have unconscious biases that are different. So my biases. Uh, my unconscious biases will be different to you, yours because they're based on 
um, our own experiences, you know, how we grew up, um, education system, etc. The the positive thing is that something can be done for unconscious biases. So first first thing is um, you know taking this test and understanding are you biased for or against a certain group of people. Um, and you know once you've acknowledged that a good way to um, you know that that's why diverse teams are so important for resilient visit to create resilient organizations because by bringing that diversity of backgrounds of ways of thinking you're um you're able to um uh, to almost avoid that group think uh that makes organizations so so vulnerable to to risk um and you know there there has been some studies uh, around the 2008 financial crash and showing that because there was such a group of people who had a similar background who were thinking um in a similar way you know their attitudes to risk was uh, completely off the charts um, in not in a good way, uh, you know, there was nowhere to, no one to challenge their, um, their ways of thinking. And then, you know, that is a bias uh, in itself, group think, you know, the, um, the way that if other people think like me, then I must be right. What about um, uh, with resilience, you know, because you mentioned, you know, people being able to speak up, uh, you know, and, and uh, really be an active participant in meetings and, you know, decision-making and things like that. What about um, when it comes to holidays? You know, we have Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, Ramadan, you know, so many other different ones, you know, Diwali, you know, and um, my last contract, I worked at a bank where they kind of celebrated all of those, you know, and, you know, I, I felt it completely honored, you know, and a part of things myself when someone came along and said, you know, happy Diwali, and they left a, a candy or something on my desk, you know, or a treat they made, you know, it's like, wow, thanks for including me. You know, like it felt fantastic. Is that another way to help build that sort of sense? Mm, yeah. And again, picking up on, on what you said, you know, you felt, oh no, you said, thanks for, thank you for including me, um, which is always really important. You know, including other people is a very conscious act. Um, but it can be, for example, you know, um, religious or cultural holidays is a good way to, um, to raising awareness, but also making sure that you don't assume someone's religion or, or heritage. Mm-hmm. Always make sure that you have that that discussion. Um, but also talking about your your family, so um, your colleagues might be in a same sex um, partnership. Um, so you know, not not asking. Also, what does your husband or your uh, your girlfriend do, um, or does? Uh, but saying you know, using partner um, is a good way to not. Um, assume um, someone's sexual orientation and then it makes it safe for the other person to say well actually I can be myself I can talk about my family life um, around around this person without you know fearing that they will treat me differently or you know start assuming something about about myself which is which might not be true. Does that mean you you mentioned uh, uh, the word assumption there does that mean um there's a link between making assumptions and our personal biases. Yeah. Um, so, so the way the way it works is that you've got your unconscious biases. Then you've got the second layer is when those um, those biases translate into thoughts. Um, so those are stereotypes and assumptions and judgments. And when it becomes problematic is uh, when those thoughts are translated into interaction. And that's really where you can target. Um, and and challenge your own biases to to prevent your your thoughts from from becoming actions that might be discriminatory for example in in the office place then based taking what you just said you know uh, we have assumptions and you know uh, mm. you know uh, not that we should but we have assumptions and unfortunately sometimes they come out you know uh, in a meeting or you know some sort of workplace gathering how do we address those situations you know do do we let them play out and then yell and scream at someone later on you know you know going back to what you said earlier you know uh, you know addressing it and being an ally how do we address when those kind of situations crop up then Mm. and that's that's a really good um that's a really good question because different situation will call for um a different response Mm -hmm. sometimes it is appropriate to um 
to actually stand up while the action is happening to prevent it from escalating. And some other times it's it's more appropriate to um, to address this, this situation in private. It also depends whether you're you're comfortable doing that, uh, but also taking into consideration, um, you know, what was the intent intent um, of the the action or or the words. Although you know, I would say that intent doesn't supersede the the impact. You know, you always have to be be mindful of what the impact of the words or the actions might be. Uh, but something with unconscious bias is that they're likely to occur in situations where you're lacking information or you have too much information or you're stressed, you're tired, you're hungry, uh, which is you know exactly what's happening right now with COVID. So we're a lot more vulnerable to unconscious biases um, in, in that context, which is why you know going back to um, individual resilience as well, it's important to look after your mental health and, and make sure that you always take a step back whenever possible. It's interesting you said that because uh, I'm recalling an incident many years ago where somebody was a, a little bit, um, how should I put this delicately, not quite as knowledgeable about a topic as they should have been. Mm-hmm. So they used a word in one way, but the word had kind of two meanings, if depending on how it was taken. And it was taken by the other person to be negative but it wasn't the way that person meant it. They were trying to, you know, communicate something and HR stepped in and said, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, you don't use that word, blah, blah, blah. And by stepping in to try and resolve the situation, it actually created a chasm. You know, it's like, well, I didn't know that this word means something else in that, you know, um, uh, in that uh to that person i'll just say mm-hmm. you know i have no way of knowing that you know it's just a, a word you know and hr turned around and you know like i said you know pointed a finger no you're wrong you can't do that and it created a chasm How, you know when, when that person didn't mean anything you know mm-hmm. anything negative at all how do you kind of try to bridge that gap and bring the, those people back together yeah, and I think it's about that constant education that uh, we have a responsibility to, to do, but organizations also have a responsibility to talk about, you know, why is it uh, is wrong to use uh, a term that might have been or might not have been okay 20 or 30 years ago, but why mm-hmm. right now you shouldn't use that word and the impact of using that word and, and what it might have. Um, and, and I really think creating that dialogue and diversity and inclusion is about that dialogue. It's about creating proximity between people. It's about creating um, bridges and really looking at we might have more in common than what mm. uh, makes us different. Um, so I think that's why, you know, it's not a program. It really needs to be embedded at all levels through comms, through recruitment process, through promotion processes. Um, and and that's what makes it so so fascinating, and what makes it you know such a a continuous um, working progress. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Lucille Kumar, who is a panelist at BCI Virtual World Conference on the topic of how to be an ally. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. 
The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Lucille Kumar today about how to be an ally. Lots of great information, uh, Lucille, and I'm really enjoying this, uh, this chat. Um, probably because I've experienced some of this myself, you know, on both sides, you know, um, so uh, understanding uh, a lot of this is uh, really beneficial for me and I hope for many other uh, listeners and uh, viewers. Now, we talked about uh, organizational resilience and uh, diversity and inclusion. In an organization, who's actually responsible? Is there any one person responsible for DNI? Mm, and it's such a great question. Um, simply put, we're all responsible for driving diversity and inclusion because we, we all have interactions with people on a daily basis and each interaction is an opportunity to treat um, each other and treat everyone as, a, as an individual, which is um, you know, going back to not making assumptions, really treating everyone as individuals. Um, I really believe that we can all be leaders in, in one way or another in the way that we challenge um, situations that's, that might be um, that might not feel right. Um, so I touched on microaggressions and microaffirmations uh, earlier in the program. So microaggressions are um, they're like mosquito bites. You know, one is okay, but if you you have several, you know, dozens of mosquito bites in one day then it becomes uh, really unbearable. So that's a good way of thinking of, of microaggressions. You know, it can be anything from uh, mispronouncing the name, um, you know, using uh, the wrong gender, uh, not being uh, called in to speak in a meeting or having your um, having assumptions made about you repeatedly. It might be... Um, it, it, it might be having your ideas um, stolen from you repeated without giving you credit. Um, and that's why microaffirmation, you know, are simple things that, that we can all do, even if we're not the CEO, if we, if, even if we're don't, not responsible for a team, really to make sure that everyone feels including. So um, if, if you see that someone has, uh, is being given credit for someone else's idea, just saying, well, I think that this person said that before, uh, and I thought that was a really great idea. Um, it might be asking a person, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she and her, what are yours? Can I check how I pronounce your name? You know, using, um, you know, what's your, um, do you have a partner as opposed to um, a boyfriend or girlfriend? Um, but, but also I think that it's very, the leaders have a responsibility to act. You know, we've been talking about diversity for a long, long time. And now is the time for action. Now is the time to, for organization really to, um, to put them, uh, their money where, where their mouth is because, you know, consumers um, are really holding brands into account. Employees are holding brands into account. So there's really, really nowhere to um, to hide. And, and in, you know, in a couple of months' time, when we've been um, a year on since um, the, the murder of George Floyd, you know, will organizations step back and say, be able to say, this is what we've achieved in one year. This is how we've changed organizations, but also what it's like for employees to work for us. Uh, I- a couple of interesting points. Um, for the record, before we got started today, because you mentioned you know pronouncing a name right, I actually asked Lucille the right way to say her name. That's right. Because I didn't want to you know um, embarrass her or insult her by not saying it right. You know, so I, for the record, I did ask you know for for that to make sure it's right. Second, you mentioned the uh, taking credit for other people. I, I've been in that situation as well did work on a presentation, you know, a, a paper and it was being presented by a vice president and they put their name on it. And mm. I complained and said, wait a minute, no, I did all the work. You yeah. know, I did all the slides. I did all the writing, you know, and you're plugging your name on it. Uh, I said, that's not right. You know, so um, I actually got my name added to it, presented by so-and-so um, uh, pr- uh, presentation documented by, and then I had my name added to it at least. And I was like, well, good. Yeah. You, you're going to be talking about what I, 
I said, so, you know, that's not good, <laughs> you know. And you also talked about, um, you know, a year after George Floyd, you know, organizations being able to say, here's how we've um, changed. How do you go about measuring that change? Because mm. that, yes. that jumps into my mind. As soon as you said, it, it's like, well, how do we measure that? Mm. Yeah, and, and there are several ways through which you can measure progress. Um, and you might think that diversity and inclusion is quite fluffy. How do you measure it? But actually, <laughs> You can both measure it through um, quantitative and qualitative measures. So uh, qualitative measures, you can do an employee survey. Are people, do people, um, have they witnessed um, any um, sexist, homophobic, um, racist remarks and all form of, of phobia in, in the workplace? Do there is diversity valued within their teams? Do they feel like um, they can be themselves? They can bring their whole self to work? So that's a way of getting that quality feedback. How are people feeling? Um, and the quality feedback is, um, or, or measurements is really interesting because it can be, you know, measuring, do you have um, uh, an LGBT pay gap, a disability pay gap, a LGBT ethnicity, gender pay gap? You can look at the, um, you know, are you hiring more of a certain characteristics than another? You can look at the level of promotions, um, but you can also look at how long employees are staying. You know, are um, uh, employees from a certain characteristic staying longer in the organization? Is it taking them uh, longer to be promoted? Um, and you can also do comparison. You know, can you compare um, uh, results, whether they are financial results of, of teams that are diverse to um teams that are homogeneous. So there are very creative ways through which we can have tangible, measure tangible results on uh, diversity and inclusion progress. Now, uh, the other part I, I want to ask is, how do you get, uh, how, how do you um, recruit, uh, is the word I was looking for, recruit a um, DNI, you know, talent, different talent, you know, and not taking into account your unconscious bias, you know, uh, how do you, get uh, diverse individuals into your organization. Yeah, and, and that's where... Some, and some want people, to be in your organization. That's right. That's right. And I suppose that's where um, some organizations, some individuals become quite defensive. You know, that's where the discussion around quotas comes in or targets. So, you know, quotas are um, you know, not necessarily the right thing because you might uh, build up resentment in your organization, but targets, on the other hand, you really, through targets, have a chance to build a, a plan in place um, to make sure that you you achieve those targets, that you're, you know, what gets measured gets done. Mm -hmm. In terms of recruiting, making sure that you have the right individuals, what you want to do is not, um, you know, taking away uh, a, a slice of the pie. You want to make the pie bigger. You want to widen the gates to make sure that you have the, the best talent out there, but also that your recruitment process allows for everyone to show their talent, to show that they are the best person for the job. So, you know, uh, what's the recruitment process like? Are you relying too much on referrals? You know, hmm. are you looking at saying, oh, I don't think this person will fit in in here, which is quite, can be quite dangerous because you're looking at a, um, you're not looking at a, uh, an objective assessment. You're looking at a subjective perception once again. Um, so it can be anything from ensuring that your interview panel is diverse, looking at do you have a diverse shortlist, what's your website saying about your your benefits and your culture. Um, Does it even look like a, a diverse environment? That's right. That's right. Um, but also the interesting thing is that you can spend a lot of money on your recruitment activities, but if you get people in and then they realize that the culture is toxic, they won't stay. Mm. Um, so, so that's why, you know, it goes really hand in hand. You know, you want to make sure that you've got your, um, you're focusing on recruitment um, by having objective measures, uh, by making sure you've got that, that diverse panels, that, you know, there are role models that you can showcase. Um, but also that once people are in the organization, do they believe that they can progress? Do they believe that um, they'll be able to uh, bring their whole self to work, but also you know, work to the best of their ability. So, so that's why you can't have the recruitment without that culture element. Well, believe it or not, time flies. 
We only have two and a half minutes left. Do you want to take a minute and a half with any uh, final thoughts and comments, uh, things that maybe we didn't touch on you'd like to uh, bring forward for yeah, and I just wanted to to recap a few things um, that that to me are very um, very important when you're looking at becoming a, an ally. Um, it's first and foremost um, educate yourself uh, and believe in, in the stories that the lived experiences of people. And then you need to be ready to to go outside of your comfort zone. You you need to be ready to um, to have it wrong. But what will you do to to address what you've had wrong? Um, are you able to challenge other people as well to use the, the privilege that you might have, which again can be time, can be financial resources, can be positions, and then you know act on it, which is the most important. Are you every day doing a single action that is either around educating yourself or making a tangible difference to um, to someone else's life? And not the the self congratulatory pat on the back, you know. That's right. Or, you know, I'm. I'm I'm giving the appearance I'm doing something, but really I'm not doing anything of material worth. To Am I doing it for myself, you know, to make myself feel good, to have this idea of I'm being the savior when actually you should amplify other people's voices and not speaking on on their behalf, which is I find quite interesting. We, we still have one minute. Can you take 30 seconds? If I want to become more diverse in my own behavior, how do I get started right away? How can I get started right away? Yeah, I would um, definitely uh, take the implicit bias test. Um, they are really great uh, resources on LinkedIn. I think they've made their suite of uh, DNI training available to watch for free to everyone. So watch an unconscious bias training session. Um, look at blogs around from 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 diverse individuals. What it's like to um, to have a mental health issue, a disability, and and work, uh, and put people first. You know, remind yourself that you are dealing with individuals, and each of them will have, because of their intersectionality, a different experience, outlook of life, and something that um, that they can teach you. Well, I, I for the last 10, 15 <laughs> years or so, I believe you know every conversation you have with someone, you should be able to walk away learning something new. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot today, you know, oh, a, a lot was- of, you know, and I, I've really enjoyed this talk and I hope a lot of people listening and watching really take a lot from it because it was fantastic talking with you, Lucille. Thank you very much for sharing your time. Great. Thank you for, for the opportunity. And I feel like we've, we've covered um, a lot today. So it yeah. was really great to, to be part of, of this show. Well, thank you once again. Congratulations for your talk at BCI Virtual World. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you again um, at another conference or maybe even back on the show at some point. And to everybody else out there, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.